Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Chew Toy Written by Luke Condor Narrated by Josh Curran Puppy? She said, still half asleep I willed her not to lift her head To turn it I didn't want her to see me like this, with my intentions written in the fur of my neck, in the bloody prints I'd made in the cream-coloured carpet. I wasn't ready for that yet, not until I'd finished the job. Strange ways. That's the word that came to my head at that moment. Actually, they don't call it strange ways anymore, that old high-security prison up on Southwell Street in Manchester. No, these days, They refer to it plainly as HM Prison. But that never worked for me, because that place, with its bile stink and flies, oh man, the flies, is the strangest place I've ever known, because that's where I first talked to the demon. That's where I first met... Guta. The one who gave me my power to possess. And if I can't blame that little silver-tongued bastard for where I am now, for the brassy taste of blood catching on the back of my throat, then who could I blame but myself? And if I'm to be honest with you, I'm not quite ready to do that. For if I were to blame myself, then my whole reasoning for this, what I'm about to do, which even in my twisted mind is something truly horrific, goes right out the window. And my reasoning? Well, for love, baby. I'm doing it because I'm in love. 
Her name is, no, was Judy Jerrick. My sweet JJ. Ten years younger, didn't she just look it? The girl who just so happened to move into the house one door down from mine, as if fate herself had placed her there, handed her the keys, took the deposit. I watched her from my kitchen window, saw her moving her boxes, all bent and broken, words scrawled on the side in sharpie pens, books, kitchen, bedroom, shoes. I watched her struggle, and I couldn't take my eyes away from that auburn hair up in that top knot. That raggedy old kiss t-shirt with cigarette burns riding up and over her belly button. I only offered to help her after she caught me watching, waved at me and introduced herself. And you are? She'd asked as she put the kettle on to boil, grabbed two mugs straight from the packing box of kitchen stuff and popped in two tea bags. Chris, I said. Well, I mean, it's Christian, but you can call me Chris. And that she did for a while. Later on, though, she'd come to call me a monster. Shit, no milk, she said. In that short time it took me to go back to my house, open up the fridge, grab the milk bottle, sniff it to make sure it hadn't soured, it hit me. JJ, this girl who was moving into one door down, I think I loved her. Now, you might think that's a hasty thought for someone you'd known for all of 20 minutes, but... Here's the strange thing. I think I made her real. I think I'd been dreaming of her for most of my life, and now here she was. As if I'd thrown enough pennies into the wishing well, and was just now withdrawing my savings with interest. To be fair, though, I didn't tell her that. I don't think I ever did. I did ask her to go on a date with me, and another one or two after that. But I never told her how I felt, and I never got the chance to. The whole thing lasted all of two months, and I don't think she ever thought of it as a relationship. But she knew that I did, and she knew that it was something she had to end. I never blamed her for that, for not seeing what I saw, that we were supposed to be together. So when she told me that she didn't want to go on any more dates, said I was unusual, sort of scary, I never blamed her. And as she ended it, in that kitchen of one door down. I lifted that same mug she'd used to pour me the tea on that very first day and brought it down on her cheekbone. Still, I never held it against her as she fell to the floor, clawed a chunk out of my arm, and I punched her three times in the stomach. One, two, three. Each time she replied with barking noises. I didn't blame her. It wasn't her fault. I continued on the other parts of the face, maybe shattered a couple of those nice bones of hers into powder. Her blood reached the tips of my brogues, but that was okay. I still loved her. She'd been too distracted, was all. And I think I was just trying to make her concentrate on me a little more. Violence helped that. It always did. But they pulled me away. The neighbours had heard the melee, called the police and they took me to strange ways, for it will forever be named in my soul. Some man in a strange wig slammed an hammer and put me in a cage for ten years. GBH, they said. Partially blinded her, they said. Animalistic aggression, they told me. But it didn't matter. I figured by the time the years had rolled on and the gates reopened, JJ would be ready for me again. 
we'd find our way together. Maybe the fates would work their magic once more. Maybe I'd find my way into Wandor down from her this time. But the years didn't roll on by, did they? They clung, gripped their claws into the side and moved slowly, and not without a certain amount of pain. I could practically hear their nails digging into my brain as they resisted. I think maybe that was why I did what I did to my cellmate. Frustration, perhaps. I woke one night, screaming her name as I pounded my fist into my cellmate's nose, dug my fingers into his eyes. And then they threw more charges, more names and more years, enough to bury me deep, lock me away from my beloved. I cried that night like a baby and wept until the fly buzzed into my room, landing on my naked stomach. I looked deep into its crystal eyes as it ran those black stick legs over its face and began to speak in a voice that probably sounded little more than a faint buzzing to anyone else. But I could hear it all. Every word. It told me not to worry. That this was but the second act of my romance. And that he was a servant of fate itself. It said its name was Guta. Told me that I could be reconnected with my love. That I had to offer myself up. Become reborn in the body of JJ's next love. What do you mean next love? I whispered in my raspy voice, my first words spoken in so long. Your beloved is with child, Guta said, buzzing and washing. Your beloved is with child. I nodded, understanding completely, and I had to admit, I figured she might have gone this route, found another man to keep herself occupied in my absence, found herself encumbered with the pressures and natural callings of a woman, taking a seed and starting a family. I always assumed it'd simply replace the husband, not the child, but here it was, and I knew it. This was my only way out of strange ways. This was the will of the fates. They'd sent it to me in the form of Guta. I understand, I said, and I agree. From there... Guta's eyes swelled, and the weight of him pressed so hard on my middle, it squeezed the wind out of me. The shadows from beneath my bed began to twist and dance like black cyclones, twisting outwards, wrapping themselves around my throat. They solidified to a black fabric that lifted me up and into the air, twisting and tightening until I felt my own throat apple snap and the discs in my neck separate. More cyclones whirled out and enveloped me, wrapped me up and rinsed me out like a wet towel, and then I saw nothing but hot, swirling pink. Soft, blurring shapes turned once more to whites and blues and pinks. The pinks became more solid, more pastel, and then there were the faces. Oh, I love him, she said, a voice familiar but not quite like she was talking a different language. Are you sure we can manage a baby and a puppy? She lifted me up and held me above the lump in her stomach, and I peed accidentally. She giggled and put me down, and there I realised what I was. I padded over to the man and sniffed, tried to make out his face, the face of the man who'd occupied my love in my absence. 
but I couldn't make him out. My eyes hadn't quite developed yet, but I could bark, and so I did. What breed is he? JJ said. Staffordshire Bull Terrier, I know, I know. They have a bad rep, but I grew up with them ever since I was a kid. I promise you, he won't be a problem. He'll make a great protector for little Alfie, and a great friend for when the boy grows up. Possession. What else to expect from strange ways? But it was all wrong. Guta said I'd possess whomever she loved next. I assumed the baby. The unborn, this Alfie. But obviously that wasn't true at all. So a dog it would be. Who's a good boy then? JJ said as she bent down, tickled my head. She looked a little older. I could even see the scars on her cheekbone. The milky whites of that partially blinded eye. I could see the uneven line of that side of her face. I really did leave my mark on her, didn't I? Who's a good boy? She said again. I couldn't help but wag my tail and lick at her hand. Finally, after all these years, contact. It wasn't quite what I wanted, but we were back together now, and that was a good thing. Yes, indeed, that was a good thing. I was fully grown by the time the baby arrived. I'd learned how to move in this body as well as I'd ever moved in my old one, and I'd got a better sense of this new world outside of my cage. The new man, her husband, was called David Mills. He liked to sing Bruce Springsteen's songs in my face. He smelled of printed paper and Lynx Africa, and he would carry around a little bag of cheese cubes in his pocket. He would hand me one every now and again, pat my head, tell me I was a good'un. The baby, Alfie, would often cry from his crib upstairs in the room I wasn't allowed in. I could smell him though. He stunk of milk and innocence and distraction. I knew this to be true when JJ, or would that be JM now, was about to feed me, but then, after hearing little Alfie bawling, she ran upstairs to him instead. She was distracted was all, like last time. She didn't know just how much I'd sacrificed to be with her. Wasn't aware that I'd dreamt her up in the first place. Wasn't aware that she was mine. I'd just have to simplify things for her. With David, it was easy enough. I met him at the back gate where he'd arrived home from work with his bicycle in his bright, tight-fitting clothing. He'd bent down to say, Who's a good'un? And I replied with my teeth on his throat ripping out the nugget that hid there in the same way I'd been pulling apart those chew toys they kept giving me. I have to admit, my jaws were stronger in this body, and I liked it. I felt the bubbles of David's throat kick into my mouth for a while, until he stopped moving. I think he might have tried to call for help, but I couldn't understand him anymore. I then padded inside past JJ who was sleeping soundly on the living room sofa. The afternoon TV sang her a lullaby as I walked up the stairs, leaving red paw prints as I went. Puppy? I heard her say, half asleep. I stopped in my tracks, half expecting her to lift and turn her head to see me like this, but she didn't. She dropped her head to the pillow once more, tired out from baby Alfie. I made my way up and into the room I wasn't allowed in. It was all white and soft and perfect.
I heard the faint breathing on the air as I kicked up my front paws and set them on the side of the crib. Poor little guy looked weak, pathetic even. I'll be honest, I was having doubts at that point. Even I knew this was wrong. But this was a level of monstrosity which far surpassed anything I'd ever done before. But then, the little creature opened its watery blue eyes, wrinkled its pale face into red, and started to wail. I'm coming, JJ called from downstairs. Rain tapped gently at the window, and I saw the face that watched there. Those same crystal eyes. Mother's coming, JJ called as Alfie took it up a notch. She sounded so tired, so exhausted, and that was when I knew. This baby was a distraction. It was only supposed to be me and her. I showed my teeth. I didn't blame the baby for what came next. It didn't know any better. Maybe one day it would understand, if it could. This was all for love, baby. All for love. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Chew Toy was written by Luke Condor, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by Carl Hughes, with music by Tank2333 and Tom Robson. If you enjoyed this episode, then you might be interested to know that we are just getting ready to publish our next Patreon-exclusive episode, Hell's Kitchen, a Gordon Ramsay horror story. Uh, a story about what happens when one of the mouthiest, most arrogant celebrity chefs is asked to cook for the gods themselves. So if that sounds like your kind of fish and chips, go to patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and become a patron today. You'll also get early ad-free access to episodes, free comics and novels, and exclusive episodes of which some, not all, contain Gordon Ramsay. So once again, that's patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and pledge from as little as $1. Until next time.